0: Before we get started, just a quick warning. Politics is a dirty sport, and there's some foul language coming your way. Enjoy the show. You know by now that presidential candidates swing through New Hampshire all the time they go to diners, high school gyms, main street walks, stuff like that. It's run-of-the-mill here. But even by New Hampshire standards, the scene that unfolded on a recent sunny Saturday in downtown Manchester was pretty intense.
1: Oh, look at the Oh, whoa.
0: Nineteen candidates were all under the same roof, and thousands of people were lining up to be a part of it. We sent producer Maureen McMurray down there with NHPR senior political reporter Josh Rogers.
1: So there are a ton of people. So yeah, there, describe some what's of these, happening well,
0: here. Well, this what they call sign wars, um, kind of pre-event
1: pep rallies. Some of these people have been here since four in the morning to get the prime position. We've got Beto. We've got Amy Klobuchar.
0: We've got Bernie. We've got Biden. Uh, we've got Yang. This is the pre-game show kind of like a pep rally before a big game. Everyone's hoisting signs and chanting competing slogans. They're just getting pumped for the day. I mean, you have to imagine some of these people have been drinking heavily In the crowd, candidates for president start popping up. Joe Biden walks by. I, I mean, Elizabeth Warren, I think it's yeah, if you can see Elizabeth Warren right there. I mean, and there's Elizabeth Warren's husband right there. So in its most authentic moments, this is what the New Hampshire primary is all about. Voters rubbing elbows with some of the most powerful people in American politics. This doesn't happen just anywhere.
1: Politics is my sport. And that's one of the reasons I love New Hampshire, because we really get involved in politics like other people get involved in football.
0: New Hampshire is in the thick of the 2020 campaign right now, And while that campaign is unfolding, it can feel like this state is the center of the political world. I mean, three weeks before Democrats gathered here, President Donald Trump held a rally in the same place.
1: Our hearts beat to the words of the New Hampshire state motto. Live free or die.
0: But New Hampshire's relationship with the primary is more complicated than a couple big rallies overflowing with energized voters. Because you don't have to go too far from a campaign stop to find people who really don't care about this sacred institution. Do you follow the primary at all? Not really, man. I don't pay much attention, you know, as long as
1: I'm able to go to work and still make a paycheck.
0: There's a mythology about the New Hampshire primary and its important role in American politics. And central to that mythology is the New Hampshire voter, a person who's more engaged, who pays closer attention to politics, who every four years trudges through snow wearing plaid and flannel to cast a ballot because they know their vote just might be worth more than votes in other states. But if you look a little bit closer, You'll find voters here who say that New Hampshire's first in the nation primary, it's not special. It's no different than any other part of American politics.
1: Oh, yeah, and I think it's all bullshit.
0: (laughs) From New Hampshire Public Radio, this is Stranglehold. I'm Jack Rodolico. In just a few months, voters in New Hampshire will once again send some presidential candidates limping out of the granite state and maybe propel others to victories in other states. But do New Hampshire voters value that privilege? Do they deserve it? Are they as engaged as they're made out to be? Are they doing the hard work it takes to vet candidates? Those are the exact questions we proposed to the voters themselves. And that's what this episode is all about.
1: I'm happy we have it. I think it's unfair,
0: (laughs) but I'm happy for the unfairness. I mean, it's pretty awesome. You open up the paper and you see virtually every national candidate showing up in a place that's no more than 25 minutes from your house.
1: Working people are not able to go see candidates and go to demonstrations and all that because they're working all the time. No, I do. I think it's all bullshit. It's all... Oh, we'll do this. Oh, we'll do that. But when it comes down to it, they don't do crap.
0: We wanted to give you a sense of what it's like to live through a raucous weekend in New Hampshire in the thick of primary season. So we sent a team of reporters across the state from Friday to Saturday night. We gave them an assignment. Talk to as many different voters as you can. People inside the political bubble and outside it, too. And before I tell you how we found the cynics, let's go back to the true believers.
1: Are you ready to win in 2020? Are you ready to win in 2020?
0: This rally for Democrats in Manchester was a big deal, both for voters and candidates. As you probably know, Democrats have a lot of choices about who they'll send to the general election to try to unseat President Trump. So the state Democratic Party invited all those candidates to address New Hampshire voters directly. And virtually all of them accepted the invitation. Inside the arena, 19 candidates took turns at the mic. It took hours. Hello, New Hampshire. Hello, New Hampshire Democrats.
1: Hello, New Hampshire Democrats.
0: Thank you, New Hampshire. For voters in most states presidential campaigns are reduced to sound bites and viral social media moments maybe they catch the debates before they vote watch a stump speech on YouTube but in this room voters are having a very different experience
1: Hi, what's up
0: tickets to get in here cost 20 to 35 bucks for that price they get to size up the whole field in person see how the candidates perform back to back in real time. And that's only part of the experience. One of our reporters, Casey McDermott, was walking through a hallway as it turned into a kind of informal red carpet walk. Just listen to this woman as she completely loses it over a Beto O'Rourke sighting. Marianne Williamson surfaces too. It seems like in every corner of this building, you can find a gaggle of Democrats breaking out into a new chant, like up in a private suite rented by the Firefighters Union, which has endorsed Biden. Down near the stage, the convention floor is clogged with local politicians. Cory Booker is speaking. There are people holding up the letter C-O-R-Y, including a state senator. The with the baseball hat on. One could argue that it's beneath his dignity, but who's to say? Uh, I mean, it's really a bad part of politics that I just, like, don't get at all. Like, I just don't have that in me to be, like, sort of religious ecstasy. The New Hampshire Democratic Party claims this is the largest event Democrats have ever held in the state. And everywhere you go in this arena you find a sense of pride and privilege, a sense that every vote counts. Even the voters up in the nosebleed seats seem to feel that they have real power. Oh, 1,000%. I I consider being in New Hampshire at this time in history to be a a great privilege to have this kind of access to the candidates.
1: I mean, we've been watching the debates on television, uh, following the newspaper reports, but... This is up close and personal, and it's very electric.
0: At the end of the day, New Hampshire will have a big say as to
1: who the next president of the United States of America will be. And we will be in the history books because we will be the ones that have led to get rid of Donald Trump.
0: New York has Broadway and The Met. California has Hollywood. The live-free-or-die state. We've got this. But on the same weekend, in the same state, in the midst of what everyone considers to be a monumental presidential campaign, thousands of people are gathering for something else, something that had nothing to do with politics. We'll take you there in just a minute. A massive political rally is an obvious place to find highly engaged voters who'll say the New Hampshire primary really means something to them. But we know those voters don't speak for the whole state, and we wanted to reach other voices too. One, two, ready, go! The same weekend that Democrats were rallying in New Hampshire, it was opening weekend for high school football. We figured, football, right? What a great place to meet people right where they're at. Hanging out on a Friday night or Saturday afternoon, eating hot dogs, cheering on their kids. So we sent reporters to games across the state. All right, it's Jack, I'm in Concord.
1: It's Lauren, I'm in Manchester under the lights. I'm Annie and I'm in Farmington, New Hampshire.
0: It's Friday night, Hanover, New Hampshire. Heading to the football field. That last voice was Jason. We also sent out Sarah.
1: It's an amazing sunset. The cheerleaders are freezing.
0: Each reporter had the same set list of questions. Our goal was to get people chatting about the primary to see if we could draw any conclusions about New Hampshire voters. How engaged are they? Do they really care about the primary? And look, we know that this is hardly scientific. This isn't a Pew poll. But here's one thing that became clear right away. Forget the primary. A lot of people just don't want to talk about politics, period.
1: Do you want to talk about politics for a couple minutes? No. Not at all? Not at all. Do you pay attention to politics I don't even vote. Uh, well, can I ask you about that?
0: No. <laughs>
1: so what do you think about the primary? Do you follow it at all? No. I voted, voted once not, since or? I've been able to vote.
0: I think you're all full of crap. And, yeah, so. I really do. That was a sizable group of people we interviewed, people who have the power to vote but are outright disengaged. We didn't get far with them. But most people did have an opinion about the primary. One of the questions reporters were armed with had to do with a common criticism of the New Hampshire primary. Is it fair for New Hampshire to vote for presidential candidates before voters in other states?
1: Fair? Uh... I mean, I think it's neither fair or not fair. It just, that's how it works, and so that's how it is. I don't know. I don't think it matters if it's fair or not. It's just kind of the way it's always been. I, there's so much in politics that's unfair. This is so low on the spectrum. Someone has to go first. Why, why not New Hampshire?
0: Clearly, they're not losing sleep over that question. But here's where things get more nuanced. We wanted to get to the heart of the thing that so many powerful people in New Hampshire have fought against. The threats to the primary. The states that wanted to jump the line. The party bosses who tried to shake up the calendar. The idea that New Hampshire could lose this thing that's a part of its identity. Um, Would you be upset if New Hampshire lost the the first-in-the-nation primary? I just want to warn the primary guardians who've suffered through this podcast. Some of this tape is going to hurt.
1: No, I wouldn't be upset. No. No. No, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me.
0: As long as I got to vote, I don't think it really would matter. What do you think it would be like if we didn't have the primary here? I think we'll be, we'll be forgotten. Well, I, I think we would become like every other state, which means we become virtually insignificant.
1: Personally, I wouldn't be upset, I don't think, but I think in the long run, um, residents would regret it.
0: When we were done with this weekend, we had about 18 hours of tape. I listened to all of it. And I have to say, what you just heard was surprisingly consistent. A lot of people just don't care if we have the primary first or not. Hey folks, I hope you don't mind. I want to ask you. both like, no, no, no. Can I just tell you what I'm doing? And then you can say no? Is that okay? I'm Jack. One of them warmed up pretty quickly. Richard Simons. He's a Trump supporter. Did you vote for him in the last primary? Were you I here sure last I did. You did? Was yeah. It, so was that, like, pretty cool to be on the ground level of, I mean, that's one thing about being in New Hampshire, you get to vote before everybody else and kind of catapult somebody towards the White House. Was that, like, did you feel like you were part of something? Uh, not really. I just like the way that he does his stuff. He's uh, right to the point. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just mows the bush over, you know what I mean? Gets right to it. That's what we need in this world. I think. Would it affect you if the primary went away from New Hampshire? Like, do you think it about it? affect me at all, I'll tell you that. It's, I just, I do what I want to do. And that's the whole thing about it. New Hampshire, live free or die, right? I do what I want, when I want to do it, so. This guy supports the president, plans to vote for him again. But it's not like he's gone to a Trump rally or anything. He doesn't engage in the primary in that way. Although, we met plenty of people who do.
1: My mom saw Cory Booker.
0: Let's see, uh, we saw John McCain.
1: I've gone out when Obama first ran.
0: You know, the president, I saw Hillary, Chris uh, Christie. Lyndon Johnson at the Manchester Airport
1: met him. And, you know, the Nelson Rockefeller and John Kennedy. Yeah. Where did you meet Jeff Buck? At the airport diner. Did I vote for him? Well, no, but it was nice. Watch out, honey! I got them in the afternoon. Oh, we got a radio person here.
0: <laughs> That's Patricia Hicks, A.K.A. Nana.
1: I'm the I'm the Nana. I'm the Nana. <laughs>
0: Nana did this thing that so many people we interviewed did. At first, she did not want to share her views about politics, as though her opinion was so volatile we couldn't handle it.
1: You don't want an answer from me. <laughs>
0: But once she opened up, she was a good contrast to the mythological primary voter. She's engaged. She votes. She watches the news. But she doesn't believe in that core pillar of the New Hampshire primary that retail politics makes for better presidents.
1: So does it matter to you to be able to meet a presidential candidate? No. No, I would not. (laughs) No, I know I'll do my voting but it's going to take a lot. And I know I won't vote for Trump.
0: <laughs> and then, as the marching band jumps into a crazy little thing called Love by Queen, Nana looks down at the field, and she starts to cry. Her grandson plays drums.
1: Thank you. I'm going to cry. Why? <laughs> Just seeing him play? Oh, I love watching him play. The winner of the 50-50 raffle is... 9914169.
0: I want you to hear one of my favorite pieces of tape from the football games. It starts with Lauren as she accidentally scares the life out of her next interviewee.
1: How are you? Nice to meet you. What's, What's your name? Camelia Bagley Anderson. Cam- oh, thank you so much for the full, beautiful name. Um, I'm just bugging it. Every-
0: Camelia tells Lauren she's here to see her son play. She's got six kids.
1: Are you one of them? What's your name? Elena. Elena, how old are you? Seven.
0: So, this family moved here from Texas 10 years ago. Camelia, her kids, and her husband, Alan. We come from the Bible Belt, and where there is politics and pol- political decision making that's going on, but nothing. In comparison here.
1: Do you think New Hampshire is representative of the rest of the country? No. No. Uh, no. And so in that way does it make sense that New Hampshire's first? No. No it doesn't but I noticed that. I think it should be like a like Florida like Florida or California or Massachusetts a bit more diversity.
0: Yeah yeah.
1: Living here I don't know if this was like an extra perk that it's like super political
0: not so much. We we do care about the decisions that are made, but we're
1: not we're not into politics per se. I mean, we go out
0: and vote. We haven't missed a can- we haven't missed an election, but as far as beyond that, no, we're not we don't even go to the rallies or anything like that. That's not us. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. I want it to be my decision. I don't yeah. want the crowd to be my yeah. decision. And I'm not going with the crowd just because that's the popular thing.
0: There are a lot of great things you can say about New Hampshire voters. They are engaged. They get they have a privilege. And they try to use their power wisely. That's all true. For some people. But it's also true that a lot of them don't think or care much about it at all. That one election every four years doesn't define their lives or their communities. When the circus comes to town, not everyone buys a ticket. There is a class of politicos in New Hampshire who have long made the case that this state deserves to have the first primary. They say New Hampshire is special, and they use a data point to back that claim up. They say voters here show up at the polls in higher numbers than other states. And that's true. During the 2016 nominating cycle, you know which states had higher voter turnout rates than New Hampshire? None of them. New Hampshire topped the list. But here's a caveat. Voter turnout in New Hampshire drops in virtually every election other than the presidential primary. In the most recent midterm election, you know which states had higher voter turnout than New Hampshire? Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, Montana, North Dakota, Oregon, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, and Wisconsin. New Hampshire tied with two other states— for 15th place. So, is it true that New Hampshire is first because it's special? No. But it does seem to be true that New Hampshire is special because it's first. I want to tell you about this one last person I met at the football game. Her name is Carolyn Kershaw. We had a nice chat. She was actually the first person I interviewed. And then at halftime... I walked by her again.
1: So, based on what we talked about, what's the feeling?
0: Oh, in terms of in terms of what exactly? She wanted gossip. She wanted me to tell her how the people from her town vote. I told her mostly Republican, like her. Mostly didn't think much about the primary, like her. And then she seemed really curious when I told her I was going to walk to the bleachers on the other side of the field to talk to folks from the Catholic school. You don't on
1: that side? Yeah. All right, let me know before you leave. (laughs) I'm just curious. Yeah. I I just want to know. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So I did. An hour later, Carolyn was still in her lawn chair, watching her team get crushed. I would say folks over there... Come on, come on! A lot more folks over there, I met several folks, who go out and see candidates. Okay. Like, that's what they do. They go out. Yeah. We, even even if they're Republican, they'll go out and see so the Democrats. A, they shop. A thought
1: for you. Yeah, please. Those are private school parents, so you're talking about a totally different demographic.
0: Tell me more about that. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs>
1: they're, they're probably from a richer demographic because their kids go to a private school versus the people that go to public go school. To public school. So of course you would see that they go out to to candidates that so they probably host them because they're in that group where working people are not able to do to go see candidates and go to demonstrations and all that cuz they're working all the time so
0: Do you think that's true to politics in general and how people follow politics or is it is are you making an observation about the primary itself
1: No I think it's in general I don't think it's just the primary.
0: And it turns out she's right. She's speaking from her gut here, but there's research to back this up. In America, people with more money tend to vote more. People with less money tend to vote less. That's true just about everywhere. In states that are pretty much ignored in presidential campaigns and in states that are constantly told how special they are. Thank you very much. You're
1: welcome. You have a good night. And
0: you said your husband's a coach, right? Yep. Yeah.
1: It's not going to be a good night at home.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because this... So we're dealing with the score 50 to 20 right now? Yeah, it's... uh... But I heard... Somebody told me they had a great season last year. By the end of this long weekend, a few things were clear. Candidates are still willing to come here. And that means they want the attention of New Hampshire voters. And those mythological New Hampshire voters... They're just that. Some people are engaged. Others don't give a damn. Some believe in the primary. Others don't spare it a thought. And when you sweep aside the myth, you're left with a powerful reality. New Hampshire is still first, and that's not changing in 2020. Over the past few episodes, we've tried to explain the stranglehold as best we can, How New Hampshire got it, how we've kept it, the ugly fights, the changing identity of this crucial state, and the tectonic shifts in presidential primary politics. But we're not finished yet. We're going to take you to the front lines of the race to win the New Hampshire primary in 2020, and we're going to show you a side of the primary that rarely makes it on TV. We will not obsess over polling or debate performances— we will not attempt to predict who will win here. Instead, it's going to sound something like this.
1: I think I said he not only touches the third rail, he dry humps it and French kisses it. I think I added a French kiss. What do you guys think about Trump? Only are too late. Why, why is there no black people here? Have there been any drink orders that surprised you?
0: Marianne Williamson came and all our chamomile tea got sold out. What do you think?
1: Absolutely amazing
0: we're going to drop you in the middle of the race to the White House in all its glory and gore, in its grace and awkwardness. That's next time on Stranglehold. This episode was produced by me, Jack Rodolico, Stranglehold's senior producer. But I had tremendous help from all the reporters who gathered tape over that long, crazy weekend— The names of those talented people are Lauren Chuljan, Sarah Gibson, Casey McDermott, Maureen McMurray, Jason Moon, Josh Rogers, and Annie Ropeak. Thank you all. Stranglehold is edited by New Hampshire Public Radio's Director of Content, Maureen McMurray, and News Director Dan Barrick. Additional editing help from Lauren Chuljan, Casey McDermott, Jason Moon, and Josh Rogers. Sound mixing by Jason Moon, who, along with Lucas Anderson, created the Stranglehold theme song, which I honestly listen to when I'm driving in my car by myself. Rebecca Lavoie is NHPR's digital director, and Sarah Plord made our beautifully aggressive podcast graphics. Go check them out. Stranglehold is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.